You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Michael Brunts. Brian Christofferson joins me for... A little walk through off-season football topics. Uh, we'll reset the deck a little bit on Nebraska's the offensive side of the ball, kind of half of the offensive side of the ball. We've been running through that on the site, just kind of taking a, a little bit of a stock of where things are at um, heading into spring ball, which is still about a month away, which is kind of uh, crazy to say, but We'll talk quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, maybe a little tight end talk if we're uh, if we're feeling feeling wild. Oh. And then after that, new recruiting calendar um, suggestions, considerations from the NCAA. Have you have you read through what they are yet? Or are we gonna we're gonna break that uh, seal for the first time on this on uh, the recording here? Uh, no, I I mean I know the basics. I know the, okay. the suggestion is uh, June. Basically, to have three of them: June, December, yeah. February. Yeah, we should just have a monthly one. Why not? If you yeah. want to sign on the first of the month, that's when you can do it. But we're we'll, getting... get into, we'll get into that in the second segment yeah, and uh, a little Husker baseball talk. So, I've rambled. Brian, how you doing? Uh not too bad. I like your Orioles cap. You're a big O's fan. Lifelong Orioles fan. We're feeling it's good to it's good to be uh, feeling good in spring training. That, that's that's what I can say. So. Are you going to uh, move to the O's now? I mean, you were you were kind of thinking. No, you're not. No, I, I just like the hat. I like the the tricolor hat, mm-hmm. and uh, it's popular with the kids because it's got a bird on the top of it versus the A, um, which feels a little too academic sometimes. I think, but that that's kind of the reason for the hat. So I don't know. Yeah, we're we're just we're just trying things out. It's it's the spring. You look like a young Earl Weaver. <laughs> Ready to go, like kick dirt on an umpire. Earl, I, I'm Earl Weaver is one of those people that I'm pretty sure was never young. Like he was always just like sixty and grizzled. Yeah, like uh, Sparky Anderson um, is the most amazing example of that. Um, when he, the Reds were really humming, he was like my age right now. Yeah, like he was like about early forties, and he looked like he was like you know your grandpa. Yeah, there there were a lot of managers in the in the '90s. There, were, Jim Leland was like in his early 40s whenever they had the the uh, the Pirates hum, humming along. I think mm-hmm. when and I'm pretty sure he'd been like chain smoking since he was in preschool. What was it? Was the name of the uh, Marlins manager uh, the year they won it? Was it Jack McKeon? Yeah, yeah, he was like 90. I was at a spring training game like the year after they won it in the front row, and I was with some people from work and we were in our twenties and we were talking too loud about how one of the young ladies should like hit on him or something. And, um, he overheard the conversation of us like setting it up and he walks over and he, in this like great voice, he's like, I'm too old for you, sweetheart. (laughs) So I, so I think, I think a lot of Jack McKeon, um, what he got done only because of that story. The uh, 
one of the great mile markers, I think, in, in a sports fan's life is like when you start to become the age of certain coaches, like, and, and I, I, I feel that more now, like major league managers always felt so old, like, mm-hmm. or like your grandpa, they, you know, been basically playing baseball since world war two. And, uh, I mean now like Rocco Baldelli, how, how old is he? Like he's in his like mid thirties, isn't he? He's a couple years younger than I am. Yeah. Like it's, for, it stinks. For, former <laughs> Giants manager Gabe Kapler looks like he's uh, he's got style and and uh, you know definitely looks like a, no, a normal person. And it's kind uh, of our yeah, it's it's our society in general. We don't want to like uh, grow old now anymore. I think they used to accept it better. Yeah. Well, that's it's, it's I don't like it. I, I don't like it. There used to be pitchers who like. Charlie Liebran or somebody when I was a kid who you assumed were like 38 years old at the time. And they were, they were like 25, <laughs> you know, like they were, but they'd probably been married for like six years and all that back then. And, you know, different time. Yeah, Burt Blylevin's been about 45 for about 30 years, I think. So. Yeah. Good. Anyway. <laughs> that's your, that's your old guy, man. Baseball managed manager talk i guess for the morning should we talk offense i i've i've been going through this off season exercise i guess of uh kind of taking a look at at kind of once the smoke is cleared from the off season what each position group looks like going into the spring and i just because my little pea brain functions this way i always like being able to just kind of you, you you, when you're able to picture like newcomers together in the same list with guys who are coming back, which I suppose is kind of what a roster is, um, it, it just kind of helps you at least kind of see like, okay, this could potentially be a position of strength or maybe there's more depth here than I thought, or maybe there there's a little bit more cause for concern here than what I, what I expected quarterback i don't know that there's a ton that needs to be discussed there i feel like we're gonna just beat the ever-living heck out of the quarterback position uh for the next eight months and i think you kind of know the cast of characters there Mm -hmm. but the running back spot to me where does that fall on your list of concerns going into the spring of like this position group they've got to get some things figured out where does it rank is it keeping you up at night? Are you are you, are you chewing the nails a little bit about the running back spot? Where do you fall? No, um, I think they're okay <clears throat> there, but I I understand the question because it's it's Gabe and Ramirez, you know, are not available this spring. They're injured um, or they're rehabbing, I should say, uh, from their fall injuries, and so you always wonder about that and how they come back and if they just, you know, can hit the ground on a sprint from kind of serious injuries, both of them, different kinds. Um, what was Ramirez injury again? It was a, was it a, a shoulder? Yeah. Se- seems all right. Um, but um, I'm pretty excited about Dowdell. Um, I like the fact um that they're just going to rack up reps like him and Emmett Johnson and Quinton Ives. And, um, you know, the staff has told us, uh, you know, how much they really like Quinton and to not just forget about him. And so this is really a huge spring, I would think, for him to, like, kind of make a move because you know how it goes. Like, if, you, if you're if you around at a certain position for a couple of years and um, you don't, you're not heard from, eventually you just keep recruiting over that. Um, but Dante Dowdell, I I'm really intrigued by, because I think where he came from in Oregon was pretty stacked in the room. He was like the third or fourth guy. And if you go back to his career at, in Mississippi, his high school career, I've said this before, but I love the fact that he wasn't a guy where you look at his max prep stats or whatever. And it's like 902 yards, but it was more like 2,100 or something like that with like uh, a billion touchdowns, you know, like I love when guys, um, just dominate in the high school ranks like you would think a D1 recruit should. And that's what he did. Um, he's kind of a – he's a big back who, like, 
I think likes the old school formations. They said one of the appeals to him is his dad said was the Nebraska uses the fullback some. And so I think he's got a lot of promise. So if he, if he takes off and if Emmett Johnson continues to like show everybody like, Hey, you really should pay attention to me. I I've got game. Um, then I think we're feeling okay, you know, walking out of the spring. Um, but those two guys especially have to prove it. And then if Quinton is like somebody of note, um, that's like uh, extra on top to me. What is, what is that? What does the Nebraska's non-quarterback run offense have to look like to you in order to feel like they've taken a step forward in 2024? Because I ask this, I, I guess, you know, you – Heinrich Harburg led the team in rushing last year. Anthony Grant was right there. Um, you know, with the injuries and everything, it was pretty dispersed in terms of carries and yards and whatnot. But what does progress look like to you? I can't easily define it by, like, I don't think numbers on the season. What I could say is, and I think people will get this, it's the it's seeing a higher consistency of runs where you're like, that wasn't necessarily that well blocked. Like that should have been a one or two yard gain and it ended up a four or five yard gain. And I just think it's been a while since we've seen a back around here. I almost think it's been since Amir, honestly, um, back to Amir and Rex era, uh, like Divino Zigbo had a nice season and there was some nice stuff drawn up for him and he, he got, he got some things done, but, um, like I always use the, game everybody can think of as an example it's like 2014 miami like i remember i wrote a game story about nebraska's offensive line and how well they played and then i went back and watched it the next day and they didn't play bad but they weren't great and it was like man amir got like 120 of those 220 yards just by just great effort runs and just knowing how to play the position well and read the holes and stuff like that and so i'm like looking for i think two backs at least who you feel that way about is this you get in October and you're like, man, he's making the most out of that run like 80% of the time. Um, like uh, there can be such a thing as a great three yard run, you know, where it's just like, that was a just excellent um, exhibition of how the position is supposed to be played. Um, and that can sometimes be better than a seven yard run. Like actually where a guy turned what could have been a huge play into like, you know, only six or seven yards. So, um, I think that's what I'm looking for. It's, it's just those like extra two yards there. I mean, it, it kind of fits with what rules talking about with this team in general, like their theme and their video theme is like finding the three points, right. Or finding four points to change those, those close games. Some of that comes to these specific positions. It's like finding one extra yard on that play or three yards on that play. And so that's what I'm thinking about. Long answer. No, it's a good answer. How how much of that, though, like, is just helped by having a quarterback that teams have to respect? Because I, mm. I was, I was kind of going back in my head, like, the number of times that Nebraska was having to run against, like, an eight- and a nine-man box last year. Yep. Um, I think maybe that gets lost a little bit in the, the running back conversation of, like, can, can I just get some help here? Because, I mean, no matter – you know, Amir Abdullah, you know, was was I, I think he still would have had a little bit of trouble last year, you know, against some of the defensive looks that Nebraska was facing because just nobody was respecting anything that, anything that Nebraska was going to do through the air. How dare you say that about Amir? <laughs> I think we're far enough removed that it's safe to say that. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah, I think it would help a ton if like <laughs> the intermediate passing game, like, especially like if you had to respect like, Oh, Nebraska can get some stuff done on eight to 15 yard throws down the field. Um, it changes like the whole dynamic of how you have to scheme up your defense and, and think about the running game and all of that. Um, and you could make an argument. It's actually kind of an accomplishment. They had the yards per carry and stuff they did last season. Um, given their just complete lack of, um, danger that they could pose to teams throwing the ball and, and going downfield with it. So I'm totally with you on that. In order to do that, you're going to need some wide receivers to 
guys coming in to to be who you thought they or think they are going to be in, in Jamal Banks and Isaiah Nair. You need Coleman. You need Lloyd to take a step forward. Um, you know, they were they were home run threats in, in very specific instances last year. But I when I was getting going through and, and doing the wide receiver stuff, which I posted this morning on the site, that group has a surprising amount of depth, I guess, that maybe I wasn't that that, that hadn't clicked for me yet. And it seems like a group that I I don't know that there's a group on the on the roster right now that I would say that has a higher potential ceiling than that group just because of I mean part of that's from where they're starting from this year, um, but also just I, I think they've done a good job of resetting the talent in that room and it's a nice mix of veteran guys and some young guys that you probably feel okay about. Yeah, this is the year you hope they take that step by the end of the fall where like, okay, we're done talking about this position group every offseason as like, um, okay, maybe it can happen now. And we're actually like looking at it like, okay, now it's just about guys who are coming back who already have a good resume. And now you got a wheel turning for the future where it's like, you know, the guys who are in their third year produce and then there's a freshman who pops up and he's ready to take the reins from him and that sort of pipeline at the position. Um, Now the other side of that where people would be skeptical is receiver to me is one of those positions I've done. This has happened with DBs before too. And on Husker teams I've covered where I've looked in the spring and I heard talked on, on air about them and said, Oh, I think they look, they've got a lot of bodies and it seems good. And then you actually get to the season and you're like, I was wrong on that, you know? Um, and receiver, I've done that before. Definitely where you can talk yourself into like nine or 10 names, almost like in April. And then you look out there and there's a situation like in the fourth quarter of a game in October, November. And it's very real. I can picture these moments where it's like, man, there's only like one or two guys they can actually go to that you trust can deliver here. And I felt like last year, don't you think they were like down to two or three where you've really felt like knew what they could do? Like, yeah, I mean, there you, you knew that like Jalen Lloyd could pop in and make a big play or something. But even Jalen said in his brief interviews, like he's got to learn more because he didn't actually play as many snaps as people might imagine. He just made a lot of the snaps he had. Yeah. Yeah. No, he made them count. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Going back to last year, I mean, by the time you got to, I mean, what, probably like the Purdue game, I mean, there was probably some serious question about, you know, whether or not you could trust a a wide receiver to go in there and just beat a guy one-on-one, you know? Like Lloyd and and Coleman and those guys, they can run by a guy. But like you were kind of talking with the intermediate passing game, I mean, could you trust a guy to go and get open on third and eight or whatever to, to move the sticks? And at least anecdotally, it seemed like Nebraska was able to scheme guys open. But if you just had to go in and just win a one-on-one, were they able to do that consistently enough? I, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I, I would lean no, um, just based on kind of how things went. But, um, you know, I, I think that, those guys, especially Coleman, especially Lloyd, will be better off in the long term for having gone through what they did last season. I mean, I there's no replacing, you know, the experience that that Coleman got with the number of snaps that he played. And you're right mm-hmm. about Lloyd. I mean, I, I think he was like in the 120s or something like that in terms of the number of snaps he played a year ago. Um, so, you know, I I kind of go down the list in that group and. I wanted to ask you, like, okay, who are you know? It's kind of the the, the spring football question. Okay, who are, who are you going to be watching for in the spring? But who are kind of who are two X factors in that group that if like they're kind of clicking, you're going to feel a lot better about that group. I, obviously, you kind of go towards the grad transfers, but I think there's a few young guys you could throw in that li- that list too. I probably would say Jaden Doss, um, because I. I think the staff really liked him. And prior to that injury in August, he would have burned through his red shirt and played a lot. Um, he's got that positionless 
a way about him even when he was in high school that like fits like how they they talk as an offensive staff of what they want to be so i i think he's a a good example um you know what the name everybody's going to talk over is alex bullock but he played like within the top three three to five guys on offense most snaps last year and people need to remember that was like his first year of playing like college like football really and a guy like him didn't hit his ceiling like you need like guys like that to just maximize like maybe i don't know maybe he is like the fourth or fifth receiver this year or he goes down maybe he's not but whatever he is you you like need him to be the type of guy where it's like third and six and like he's made a few of those catches from his first year and he becomes one of those like oh he's dependable type guys and like everybody sort of maxes out on what what they can do there um so I, he comes to my mind and and everybody will move past him but i don't think they should because they just look at the snap count last year um and look at what his brother did on defense that's a that family's got it in the genes to to do it on the football field so <clears throat> i would say Doss, and then um <clears throat> jalen lloyd i think though being like a consistent guy who knows all the positions and can move around more and just um rack up more snaps i would say is another answer because i i think like his potential is so high and we saw a bit of it but now like let's see him on the field for like 40 to 50 snaps what does that look like or if he can you know um what what can he produce with that yeah i one guy that probably gets a little bit lost in that mix we we've talked about him on here a fair amount demetrius bell i'm yeah. just kind of curious to see what that looks like because you know it was in november garrett mcguire said he basically came in in the the mid 150s and he's up to the low 190s now um you know he had a year on the scout team of going against tommy hill and quentin newsom and those guys and I mean, I, I think he probably would have factored last year in, in some way if, if he'd been able to play. And, you know, he's he's probably a guy that gets kind of washed over a little bit. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, I mean, you've got a number of guys, a number of freshmen who are on campus now. Ja'Cory Barney, Davon Hall's on campus right now. Yep. Dylan Smith. Um, you know, the, the wide receiver spot is one that's a little bit more difficult to play right away. And I think that kind of gets lost sometimes um, in, in terms of just projecting how quickly a guy can get on the field. But having an extra spring to learn the offense, having an extra spring to get used to the speed of competition and the reads and checks and everything that you have to be able to make, that, that puts those guys at a disadvantage to be able to potentially play early. And I think I think somebody from that group of freshmen is, is going to emerge and kind of has to a little bit. So those, those are kind of the two, I, I guess, the, the young guys and then Bell. And I'm eager to see what that looks like. And then I, in my mind, at least, you know, Jamal Banks needs to be the guy that you hoped he was. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a guy that played almost 800 snaps last year at Wake Forest. He's been through it. Matt Rules talked about how he's been a leader already. Um, and that, that all kind of signifies to me a guy that at least is doing the right things now to set himself up to potentially help in a big way, um, in the fall. And that's, you know, that, that big bodied wide receiver that you can just kind of throw the ball to and, you know, hopefully he makes a contested catch. Nebraska really hasn't had that in quite a while. Yeah. Um, honestly, we ended up saying about every name. So that's always fun with these. It's like, I do this all the time. We have to. Yeah, I know. But it's like when uh, you're like, I'm going to make a list of like uh, the five guys that these five guys on this particular topic are going to do this thing. And there's like 18 names you end up with. Like I squeeze them in and I have like three names under one guy. I kind of, you know? Yep. Um, So that's what ends up happening. But you bring up banks. I kind of believe I, I hate to say someone's an automatic, but I I just kind of have a belief Banks is just going to be steady. Like I almost like I'm counting on that. And the one where I think he, if he can find his stride that he had when he was at Wyoming, that can 
could completely change the picture is Nair. You know, if if he um he had that injury at Texas, uh was pretty challenging and and really it kind of it seemed like stopped whatever momentum he had there and he he wasn't heard from. Um but but prior to that, he was like working with the first team at Texas and stuff like that. So you you know, a guy like that, you wonder um if if he can show that he was averaging like 18 yards a catch or something. It was ridiculous when he was at Wyoming. He he, he was had a huge yards per catch. Um, so if, if he takes off and is that sort of threat for Nebraska along with Banks, and then you've got young guys just feeding off of that, like that, then you really are cooking. So um, he might be the name I would, I think of the most as I think of this off season in that position. I think that was everybody. I think we officially named everybody in the wide receiver group. <laughs> you know what else though? We we went, we spent a little more time on receivers and running backs and I'm not going to dwell on this, but I did have one more thought and it was on Gabe Irvin. Uh-huh. Cause I was actually watching I, the painful um, replay of the Nebraska Minnesota game. Oh, and um, <laughs> you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i forgot some parts of that game but you might remember there was it, for a bit it was feeling pretty good like in the second half it's like okay they're this is the rule style they're grinding it out they were picking up the rushing yard and gabe had this run you know when they were backed up inside their 10 you can probably recall it where he busted off and it's like a 35 yard type of run you know and he just runs over a guy and all that and so I was like, okay, that was that was a really good run that I kind of forget about. And then I went back, and I was actually watching some of the Colorado game. And um, again, he yes, painful, but he had another run in that game where I same sort of bur- you know burst and run, ran through some people for a big run. And the big question with me is actually not. Sometimes I I know it's been said even on our podcast. Um. You know, he maybe hasn't delivered to some expectations. I just think he hasn't been on the field with injury more than anything. And I actually think like if he's fully healthy and that's the big if, but I think like he's got game like I really do. I like see what even in those brief glimpses, I'm like, there's I understand why the coaches like him and what that could look like as that guy builds up momentum into October and November and stuff like that. And so if I just hope he gets a full run at it is my basic point. Like I hope he gets like fully healthy and has that entire year where it's like, this is who Gabe Irvin is. And we actually get a, a a reveal of what that looks like. Because he had what he's had the knee injury his first year. Yeah. Um, Had pretty serious bout of turf toe. I think it was his second year and was still a little slow coming off the knee. Then the, was a last year had the hip. I mean, it's, it's, he's never really, you're right. He's never really gotten a, a chance to really kind of go or really even have, I mean, he, I guess he kind of had a full off season last year, but even then, you know, that that's been about it in terms of his, his longest string of health. Ramir, yeah. Ramir Johnson's kind of the same way too. I mean, yep. I mean, he's never been, you know, in there for a full season without battling something. Yeah. And I've, I've always thought whenever Ramir touches the ball, Usually it's positive, you know. He he does it, it has worked out pretty well when he gets the ball. Um, but yeah, and every every coach that has had Gabe here at Nebraska, he's had a few different ones, um, has tended to like him and saw the what could be. So there's kind of been a common read from guys who are actually in the profession doing it every day that he's got the goods, but it's just a matter of having that healthy season. So I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm I just think the narrative uh, should be more about it's the injury thing that stood in the way. It's not, I don't think it's the talent thing. I, I think it's there. It's just a matter of like, can we actually see it in full now? And then what that looks like. So he'll be out for spring. Ramir Johnson also out for spring. So we'll get maybe a, a another look at that once we get to fall camp. Um, so we take a quick break, get your calendars out and we can see, yeah. uh, start planning signing days apparently, or, at least discuss planning signing days. We'll be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So a little bit of somewhat breaking news uh, this morning. It's been reported elsewhere, but uh, Pete Thamel uh, of ESPN, the recruiting calendar which i mean it shouldn't be a surprise that it's being kind of reconsidered or um you know they're looking at different options to make it a little less stressful in december for coaches but here's what it looks like for those that have not uh not seen or heard potentially the first nli signing period a three or seven calendar day period beginning the last wednesday in june you would have a second signing period beginning the Wednesday following the last FBS regular season game. And then the traditional first signing period, first, uh, first Wednesday in February signing period. So you would have three um, chances, I guess, for prospects to sign. This was coming for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. It feels like every couple of years the recruiting calendar gets uh, reconfigured and things come out of that that maybe aren't expected. But at first glance, what do you make of those three days, Brian Christofferson? I'm fine with it. And it sounds like something you can make fun of at first and just be like, oh, because this coach liked this idea, that coach liked that idea. Here, have all of them. It's sort of like us talking about all the guys on the in the receiver room. Let's, yeah. just go, let's cover it all. Um but I actually don't think it'll be a, as unwieldy as it like seems because the February one, which has already become ba- close to nothing uh, yeah. some years, um, I think would remain that way. It would just sort of be for like those special scenarios and maybe where a coach left a program and you have those recruits who are, are available now um, to get out of their uh, original signing. Um, so I don't think, that's a big deal. I think moving it up in December uh, would probably be uh, heavily. I think it would be heavily agreed on by coaches. I'm not positive, but that that's my would be my guess, uh, judging by their reaction to sort of what the calendar previously was. So I think moving it up in December is a good idea. And yeah, why not? I mean, we already know like 15 guys usually by the end of June that are in a class. And for the most part, I've noticed this around here, but maybe it, it's been different elsewhere, but we haven't seen as much flipping. I don't think the last couple cycles either. Am I talking out of my backside or am I wrong? It doesn't feel like, I mean, there's been ones, a few, there's always gonna be a few, but it doesn't feel like there's just been flips all over the place. So, I mean, guys usually are kind of settled in if they commit in the summer. Yeah, no, I think if, if guys are committing in June or earlier, with, with rare exceptions, Kwan Lacey was the one that comes to mind yeah. um, this past time around. But for the most part, I mean, those those guys are locked in. You know, if, if usually if you're committing earlier, you've probably had that offer for a while or it, it's a more of a local offer. You've, you've made your visits and you, you felt comfortable to pull the trigger and, and kind of shut things down. I mean, I, you're right that in rare cases – have even those guys that 
you know, committed early, rarely do they take more visits. I mean, I, I, it's just kind of done. And it kind of goes back to the old Bo Pelini idea of you just mm-hmm. you sign when you sign and you're done. Like, it's a little bit like the old, you know, we're going to sign the NLI here on the hood of, hood of the car once you're ready to go. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I, I don't mind. I, I think it makes sense to have one in the summer to take less pre- to take pressure off of the one in, in December or November or what you know the basically the, mm-hmm. the end of fall one because that's become you know the the new national signing day versus whatever they have in February. Bo kind of convinced me his idea was good back then, and I've thought about it more, and I don't love it now because I think like you'd get cases where guy you could have knee jerk reaction sometimes um, where a kid really enjoyed a visit like in April or something and signs and maybe should wait it out a little bit. I'm trying to think if there's a negative to the June thing, I guess it could put some pressure on guys who want to commit and lock up their space, but they'd also like to take their officials in the fall and see like what that looks like at different places and have that experience and stuff. Um, where they'll feel like I better sign now, um, you know, otherwise am I going to lose this opportunity? I don't know. I'm thinking out loud, but I'm trying to think of like in the recruit shoes, if the June thing has any um, negative effects, that's all I can come up with really is like, if there's that like pressure, like, cause in theory you could like commit, but say, ah, I'm not going to sign yet, you know, in June, I'm going to wait, I'm going to go on my officials but I am curious what the reaction will be to those prospects that do that, you know, because they'll be like, what, you're not ready to sign and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, your buddies are um, so that that could be interesting maybe. Yeah. It's the, the thing that I kind of, my immediate reaction was, okay, well, if a kid signs in late June, how do you handle things in November? If a coach leaves, a coach is fired um you have a changeover in the program i mean as it is mm-hmm. now if if you're on the roster you get your 30 day window to to enter the portal if a coach leaves or is fired are you immediately re- released from your letter of intent um you know that's at least a consideration to me because there were what 30 jobs that yeah. came open so there's um, going to be freak shows from it still yeah like i I kind of wonder what that looks like then. Um, because, I mean, if, if let's say it happens like that second signing day is in late November, a coach gets fired right after the regular season. Even if a, even if a kid's released, I mean, that, then you're kind of pushing everybody forward to February at that point if they want to take visits elsewhere and, 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 you know, maybe end up at a different school. That, that was kind of my first thought was, Mm. was what does that kind of look like? I also wonder too, if, you know, you're, you're getting, getting guys to sign before their senior year at the end of June, how early are you making those offers and starting those relationships with, with prospects? Like, does that, does that speed up the recruitment? Does it speed up make offers earlier. I, I, I'm, I'm not naive. I know that, that programs are already offering fairly early now as it is, but do you see that more frequently outside of like just the surefire? These are, you know, high four star, you know, blue chip type prospects because I, those guys obviously are going to get attention early, but do you see more, more coaches making projections just because you have to, you know, get in the door a little bit sooner because the recruiting process is a little bit more sped up. I don't know. It does open up some interesting strategy too. Um, as far as like those schools that like, okay, here's basically our entire class in June. This is basically it that you'll get some of those, um, with a, you know, one or two spaces open. And then there might be some programs where they're thinking like, no, we need to save like, five to seven spots at least to like evaluate some of the senior film, some, some coaches who might go a little more old school with it and be like, okay, everybody's going to overplay their hand in June, you know, and have their class together, but there's going to be these good prospects who are developing at the age of 17 and their bodies are forming and they're putting up impressive stuff that are going to be there late too. Like we're going to get, because we'll have the room for it. Um, so I, it, it could open up, 
I mean that some of that already exists because people are already like they're though they're not signed in June, like they're committed. These classes have like 20 commits in them by June, some of them and all that stuff. And um, so you already have some of that going on, but it will, it will be interesting when it's so like finalized and people actually like 15 guys have actually signed, you know, in June and like what that means to the whole thing. And you're right. There's going to be coaching changes. That's going to shake it up. Um, I think the easiest one for me to get my head around that makes sense is moving it up in early December. Like that's the one where I don't have to think too long. And I, I think that's a good idea. The other ones I, I can go back and forth on a bit. Yeah. I mean, it, December has just been a mess it, with, with the portal, with coaches, basically crisscrossing the country with the high school stuff for the last three weeks of the month. Now you mix in, you know, the college football playoff being expanded. You have more games in December. It, I mean, at some point the, the current roster and winning those football games has to matter, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think sometimes with with the way that it is now, you know, with, with the older model, you're you're almost penalized a little bit by, you know, playing an early bowl game or being involved in the college football playoff because you're you're having to be so focused on your own roster that you can't kind of compete with everybody else for prospects who are out there. Yeah. Michigan was supposedly a player for like Jamal Banks at some point in that pursuit. And that was funny because I understand it. There wasn't really anything from their side about it because, oh, yeah, they had a billion other things going on. I mean, we we around here, not a good thing, but maybe it was beneficial to the staff in this one case if you wanted to play the pros and cons of not making a bowl game that they actually had that time to like after their first year to re sort of like, okay, let's look at this roster. What do we need portal wise, you know, and, and really put all their attention toward that where some other people were distracted. But yeah, imagine what it'd be like if Nebraska were playing in a fairly big game in December um, and you got all this commotion around it. The, the portal thing's still going to be a mess though. Right. I mean, in December, I mean, there certain programs are trying to get 10 to 12 guys out of the portal still or yeah. more. So other considerations that they have, there would potentially be a complete December dead period. Uh, they would also look at a December quiet period. Um, and then one other consideration that's also being taken is you would potentially have more official visits um, bumping that number up to 70, you would maybe even be able to start them a little bit earlier, I guess, um, than what they do currently. So lots to talk about. I, from what it says, it wouldn't go into effect until the following year. Um, they wouldn't actually review the proposals until, uh, this June. So it's not like this is coming down the, mm-hmm. the pike, like in a couple months, but. So we can talk about it next year at this time. Yeah. Podcast. And it gives you time to plan some vacations too, because apparently mm-hmm. now that that last week in June is a no go. So um, that's also a consideration as well. Anything else you got? Anything offhand on that? No, that doesn't mean that's as much as I could talk about anything with the calendar that we did. I think we did as bang up a job as we could have, honestly. All right. Should we finish with some baseball? Yeah. Not not Earl Weaver talk. Yeah, Husker baseball. So Husker baseball comes back uh, or was in Arizona uh, playing Grand Canyon. The alma maters, we learned of Kevin Warren and Tim Salmon. Tim Salmon, the Grand Canyon guy. Um, but Nebraska baseball comes back with a 3-1 and record against a pretty good Grand Canyon team that will be in the NCAA tournament hunt at the end of the year. Uh, a little bit dicey on Sunday. Uh, gave up a seven-run lead. Ended up winning 10-8. to and won the first two games of the series pretty impressively behind really solid pitching performances from Drew Christo mm-hmm. and Brett Sears, both going six innings. So I think all things considered, the first two weekends, you have to feel okay about the way things are kind of trending for, for Nebraska, and especially given some of the injuries they've had, or not injuries, but guys not being available uh, the, the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, you might need to educate the general public a little bit on this. Um, I don't know that – see, I wouldn't have understood 
Um, and I think a lot of people wouldn't have like Grand Canyon winning three out of four was, I mean, pretty doggone good. Right. I mean, I, I think some people like, it's like, okay, I've, I haven't heard much about them. You should win three out of four, but that, that was a, that was an impressive series. Wouldn't you say? They will be, like I said, they'll be a, in the hunt for an NCAA tournament berth. I think it'll be a series that at the end of the year you look at as a net positive for RPI and perception. Um, And especially I think coming off of the, the one and two weekend down in Texas, two weekends ago, it was nice to kind of get, get a little, uh, get, get some wind column stuff for the, uh, Mm -hmm. for, for the effort. And yeah, I mean, Grand Canyon's kind of a, a team that's always towards the front of the whack um they're going to be there at the end of the year like i said and nebraska on on thursday night in the opener they they beat a guy that's one of the better better pitchers on the west coast so kind of take all that together and not a bad weekend a a weekend that was a little bit emotionally charged too it felt like a Mm -hmm. it felt like a late late season conference weekend some chirping some some pointing guy got uh tossed for flipping his bat yeah had a little bit of everything seemed like grand canyon had some hotheads and they got our boys riled up um (laughs) no i i I like to see it from nebraska like that's something you know uh, a clubhouse you gotta have i think in baseball pardon my language i believe red ass is allowed right um we can say red ass yeah um you gotta have those in a clubhouse or you're just not gonna the other side's going to have them and it's not going to end up well for you. And I, I, I think you saw some examples that maybe Nebraska's got a little bit more of that uh, built in that dugout than they maybe had the last year or so. Yeah. So, so what happened? Nebraska, Nebraska taking the first two from Grand Canyon. The, the third game was a little tightly contested and you could tell that Grand Canyon was trying to fire themselves up a little bit after the way the first two games had gone. Uh, one one of Grand Canyon's relievers, or a couple of them actually, were were getting a little bit uh, effusive with their post strikeout celebrations, mm-hmm. um, including one that took his hat off and was kind of gesturing at Nebraska. I believe it was Josh Perrin, <laughs> um, which kind of bled over into uh, the post game handshake line where the teams had to be separated. And um, on on Sunday. <laughs> A Grand Canyon hitter hits a grand slam to tie the game, takes his bat down towards first base, flips it, crosses home plate, and gets tossed for <laughs> basically. Uh, I think he kind of paid the price for his teammates being a little bit too uh, aggressive with the celebrating on Saturday night. But to your point, it was good to see Nebraska kind of match their uh, match their emotion on Sunday, and you know what. Will Bolt and, and his coaching staff had kind of said all fall that it was a really competitive group to the point where guys were having to get separated at times during just not even games and scrimmages, but just like mundane competitive stuff in the in the clubhouse. And I, I think you need some of that to be able to win those those games on Sunday when it's a little tough. That's good. I mean, I look. I love nothing more than a scene on a baseball game of a like a f- five foot nine guy in the dugout with a lot of eye black and a big wad of gum in his mouth, what have you. And he's like kind of on the top step, like chirp, you know, yelling back at the other side like that. I love that scene. I, I picture like Dustin Pedroia kind of yep. doing it. He's like in my head, like doing it to the other side. Yeah, so they well, I mean, on Sunday you you, you score the go ahead run on a pass ball and this a steal of home. Um, nice. it, it was an emotional day, and you know I, I think positive signs from Drew Christo. He was, yep. um, you know, throwing mid nineties, mixing in a good slider, and you know he threw six six strong innings. I mean, if you can get six strong innings out of the gate from Christo and Sears at the top of that rotation. That bodes well for Nebraska when they get into Big Ten play. Yeah, that's good. So what's next now? Uh, they are in Charleston for another four-game weekend. Um, Charleston is 7-0, called Charleston 7-0. Um, they don't typically lose at home. They're, they're, they got like a seven – they win about 75% of the games at home. Um, playing good baseball now. 
just something to watch as a last thing. Uh, you know, Nebraska's bullpen is much deeper this year. This past weekend, they didn't have Casey Dice or um, Kyle Fralick available. Those are two guys that are kind of back of the bullpen, um, eighth and ninth inning options. Um, we'll see if they're available for this week. Getting them back would be huge with a four-game series, but that's just something to watch there. But that same rotation, and, and Nebraska is going to try to uh, see if they can piece together a few wins down there too. This, this is another series that has the potential to be very valuable for for postseason mm-hmm. RPI type stuff. At the it's called year. Has College of Charleston, forgive me for not knowing, have they been kind of a regular in the tournament? Uh, yeah, I believe so. But they're 7-0 and now is the important thing. So they got yeah. something. They, they've they been hitting well. They they pitch it pretty well. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be I, – I would have probably said that Grand Canyon was going to be the tougher series. But, I mean, th- th- this is going to be a pretty tough one. They've got – they swept Marshall – and they swept uh, Youngstown State, so you would you would hope that Nebraska would be a little bit uh, step up in competition from those two programs. Good stuff happening right now. Like it's an interesting time in Husker athletics. Baseball could be on the climb. We're hoping. Yep. Men's and women's basketball are going to make the dance. You hope. And then playing uh, now. Yeah. Yep plan for a double buy we have that podcast up too so people can check that out yeah lot lots going on uh spring football we'll still be reviewing things in the lead up to that might hear from matt rule soon um when that all goes down after after the uh the, the ncaa tournament gets rolling but uh we'll have everything at husker 24 7 um full coverage from baseball basketball continuing to discuss football uh, lots of official visits being set right now for uh, the summer and and you know it looks like the red white game is going to be a, a pretty big visit weekend it always is but even more so now because you're going to have official visitors in town that weekend so get to husker 24 7 for all of that and much much more we'll be back next week with two more podcasts